Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Mary Ann Wolfe. Today on the show, we will discuss racial equity, focusing on discipline disparities, the school-to-prison pipeline, and school resource officers. Our goal is to share research, explore what is working and what is not working in various contexts, and consider recommendations for how we support the whole child with an equity lens. We are so pleased to be joined by Tyler Wittenberg, who works for the Justice System Reform Program as part of the Southern Coalition for Social Justice. Tyler, welcome. Thank you for having me. I know that the Southern Coalition for Social Justice released the Social Equity Report Card that mentions academic achievement, school discipline, and the school-to-prison pipeline. Would you please share with us those findings? I think one of the major findings uh, within those report cards is that the school-to-prison pipeline is alive and well in North Carolina, sadly, uh, to say that. But uh, it, we see that 45% of school-based uh, of complaints to the juvenile justice system are school-based, and that 48% uh, of those complaints are Black students. So when you take into account that almost half of the juvenile justice system is being fed through schools, and that almost half of that number is Black students. It's easy to see that school policing and the way we discipline our Black and Brown students in schools today is a primary driver of the juvenile justice system uh, and is the, it is the epitome of what we mean by a school to prison pipeline. It means that they're walking into schools knowing that they may be more likely to enter the justice system in the classroom uh, than outside of the school building. We, we've heard from students throughout the state uh, they're called to remove police officers from schools um, after witnessing uh, their peers be harassed on a daily basis. Um, what it means is that students are going to be uh, exposed to the collateral consequences of the justice system. Uh, that means being uh, removed from the classroom, as we mentioned, so losing ac uh, their academic growth. That means being separated from their families. That means the cost of fines and fees associated with the justice system. That means actual feeling of anxiety when you're in class, when you know that um, although people say that police officers are meant to be, that are, they are there uh, as a way of maintaining safety, that actually for many black and brown students, they know that they are seen as the threat um, and, and the same way that they are policed and targeted in their communities that they will also be policed and targeted in their schools. And I wonder if you can tell us a bit more about what the research shows in terms of the effects SROs have on school culture. Absolutely. Um, research demonstrates that although black and brown students do not misbehave at higher rates, they are arrested um, and, and pushed through the juvenile justice system at higher rates simply by attending school. Research demonstrates that uh, increased presence of police officers and security in schools uh, leads to a higher rate of arrest for minor behaviors, things that are age appropriate. Um, research demonstrates that police officers view students of color, particularly black males, as almost 4.5 years older and as more culpable than their white peers. Um, and so basically, uh, we know that an, a heightened presence of police and security in schools decreases the school climate. Um, and creates a lot of trauma for black and brown students. And this is what we mean by uh, school push-ups when they are in classrooms um, and they're not able to learn, feel nurtured and secure, but instead they feel as though they are being targeted um, and criminalized for simply being adolescents of color. 
So how do we transform school culture or how can codes of conduct um, be considered to move the culture in a school from one maybe more of punishment to one of relationship building? It's that we need to have an intentional shift in the way we view uh, the school building and the way we view responses to behavior that is perceived negative. Uh, we need to invest in things that are preventative, like restorative justice, school-wide restorative justice, not just restorative justice where students are sent there after something goes wrong, but uh, a system, a framework of regular relationship building with students, a framework of working with them through tough issues, letting them know uh, the harms that, that may be caused by their behavior, but also uh, the importance of, of building relationships with peers and listening to one another. And I also think we need to really focus on the adults in the building as well. Restorative justice is not just for students. It is also for those adults and all of us as we go through life so that we can be supportive of one another, uh, care about one another, and uh, provide each other with the space for growth. Are there... Um other roles that you wish existed in schools to support students? I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, members of our Youth Justice Project here in Durham have called for a mental health space to be in every single school staffed by a, a professionally licensed uh, psychologist. Um, they are calling for safe spaces for LGBTQ plus students who uh, throughout the country and especially here also uh, receiving harm and harassment just by going to school on a, on a regular basis. They're calling for, once again, full school-wide restorative justice programs in every single school and the removal of school police officers so that we can be preventative and nurturing as opposed to exclusionary uh, and dismissive. Do you have other examples where you've seen this transformation happen and actually make a real difference for students in school culture? Well, so the call to remove police from schools and to fully implement restorative justice has been going on for a while. After the uprising with George Floyd, we see a lot of spaces throughout the United States that actually have responded to that call. Um, and we have, the research does show that proper implementation of restorative justice reduces uh, behavioral incidents um, and actually provides students with the social and emotional learning that, that follows them throughout life. And it's not just about creating a certain environment within that school, but these things trickle over into the, uh, the community. They trickle over into the students' uh, matriculation through education um, and, and follows them for the rest of their lives. I have had a chance to hear students talk about how they use some of those strategies at a playground or other places. And it's, it's wonderful to hear it directly from them, not even realizing what they're sharing in some ways. So um, I really appreciate that. Well, as we wrap up here, I wonder, do you have any other recommendations for school and district leaders, educators, and school boards who are wrestling with these issues? I think some of them are, are a bit apprehensive about taking steps to remove SROs because of uh, a perceived backlash that may occur, but I think they need to understand who they work for. They work for the students. And when you have students of color throughout the state throughout our, our counties, throughout the United States that are calling for a removal of SROs because of the trauma that they regularly experience, it is imperative that policymakers listen to those students and follow their lead. I think youth leadership, it, it, it is itself a form of education and a form of empowerment. And uh, as adults, I think 
uh, we we think that we know better that they don't understand maybe the budgets they don't understand the, the loopholes that that have to be uh, overcome in order to uh, in order to to implement some of the policies that you call for but that is our role it's our role to figure out a way to actually implement the things that they're calling for so first and foremost listen to the youth especially those most impacted and those being the youth of color and lgbtq plus youth uh, throughout the state of north carolina well, thank you so much. Um, after the break, we're actually going to hear directly from a student from Wake County and also continue our conversation with a Durham Public School um, school board member. And then we also wanna take a moment to remind our viewers to vote. Early voting is open now through the end of the month. And the last day to request a ballot for mail-in voting is October 27th. And it needs to be postmarked by November 3rd. Early vote matters, so we hope that you'll take the time to vote. Thank you so much. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. We are so pleased to be joined today by Giovanna Lewis, who is a Durham Public School Board member, and Reagan Raison, a student at Enlo High School in Wake County. Giovanna, I'd love to start with you. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about your background that you bring to the Durham School Board? My professional background is as a licensed professional counselor, and I've been doing clinical work for over 20 years. But most recently, I began an initiative in one school called PAC, Parents of African-American Children. And we are a subcommittee of ONCE PTA, and we really center advocacy and equity in education. So we had grown so much for one initiative in increasing Black parent leadership within the school that I began a nonprofit last year called EPIC, Empowered Parents in Community, to work towards dismantling systemic racial inequities in the school system just before I ran for school board and then began that work in July. Reagan, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and how the experience of a student and how it's affected your views on racial equity in general, but also in your school. So just a little background on me. I am an executive at large of the Wake County Black Student Coalition. And this is an organization that we started um, in early this summer to really provide this platform for black and brown students to speak about, you know, different microaggressions that we face. And it's really tailored to really end the systemic racism that infiltrates the education system. And in addition with that, I'm a vice president of this group called Women in Science. And we aim to, you know, uh, bridge this gender and race gap in science professions. So we teach and mentor um, third grade girls. So with this, um, I've always really been passionate about fighting for racial equity in our schools because as a black girl um, in our school system, I've been used to being, you know, the only black girl in my AP classes or my honors classes. Um, so it's important to me to move past diversity and towards racial um, equity because often it's easy for people to fall back on this idea that, oh, our school is diverse. People don't face these um, different uh, forms of racism, but it's important for us to acknowledge that. And as I'm at Enlo, there are um, a lot of different, um, there's, there's a lot of different efforts to really fight for racial equity. Uh, this year, I was lucky to be on this call with my administration and other students as we had a discussion about you know different tactics that we can implement to really fight for racial equity and with that i think that this discussion is really being promoted um, because early on i feel like racial equity was kind of on the back burner but with what has happened recently in national events people have have had to confront you know their own biases that they have 
Giovanna, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the role the school board plays in terms of equity, especially racial equity, but also with codes of conduct and other policies like that that impact some of the aspects that Reagan was just talking about. Yes, uh, thank you. And Reagan, you're doing amazing work. I'm so happy to also be on this uh, show with you right now as well. Um, so as I shared, I just joined the board in July and the board was in the middle of reviewing all of our policies. So we were doing a full, the last full policy adoption was in 1999. And there have been adoptions throughout the years, but I do remember the school board discussing this two years ago. And I wanted to ensure when I heard that, that public voice and Durham community values was included, those values of equity and education, dealing with racial bias, um, increasing um, culturally responsive curriculum and things of that nature. So um, I have had the good fortune of being able to sit on the work groups and doing these policy reviews and editing policy. So most recently I was sitting on a group, um, doing a work group for policy 5120, which has to do with relationships with law enforcement. I wanted to make sure the community voice was heard and that Durham values were in these policies. Um, I will continue to update the policies to reflect the community values um, around equity and discipline practices. The value that our students must be decriminalized, their behavior, student behavior must be decriminalized in creating a safe atmosphere for all students, especially students of color who have, who have been dis disproportionately affected by discipline practices. And also in our policy reviews, we want to make sure that there's practices that allow for access to academic rigor. So as Reagan was talking about, sometimes she would be the only black student in her class. Well, sometimes there are gatekeepers of practices that don't allow for that access. So being on a school board, those are some of the things that I'm prioritizing and highlighting within our policies to make sure that it's in line with our values to create a more equitable system around discipline and access to academic rigor. Reagan, I wonder as we're listening to Giovanna, if you have other thoughts on some of the biggest challenges for students that you know. So I think there are quite a few big challenges that students face um, as we are trying to navigate these spaces, especially black and brown students. Um, I think as Giovanna was saying, one uh, big problem is that students, we feel um, kind of deterred from taking these AP classes because we see that there's already not enough representation. And there's also these other little factors that kind of push us back because sometimes we feel like we're not acknowledged, um, our presence is not acknowledged in these spaces. Um, last year when I was taking AP Physics, Electricity and Magnetism, I was one of three girls in the class. And then with that, I was the only black girl in the class. So often I felt like my voice was not heard as I was working in these groups. Um, I felt like if I got an answer, people would be like, that's not right. Um, so I feel like we also need to kind of shift this conversation to accepting everyone and making sure that everyone feels heard. And with that, there's also um, the problem of students being afraid to hold teachers accountable for like the little comments they say because there's fear of um, like repercussion or being penalized. So I think that um, it's important to um, make students feel welcome and make them feel like they can speak out of what they're experiencing. And then also with what Giovanni was saying, um, I think you know criminalization is a big thing in schools as we're talking about dismantling the school to prison pipeline and the school to deportation pipeline. I think we also need to um, shift this conversation about safety, um, especially as she was talking about relationships with law enforcement. Um, earlier this year, me and two other girls, we started this petition for Wake County to um, really address the criminalization of black and brown students. And with that, we wanted to reevaluate really the position of school resource officers in schools. 
um, we wanted to really talk about restorative justice practices instead of you know exclusionary discipline like ISS and suspensions. We want to move towards you know a community building effort, and um, that's really important with racial equity because as we know, um, racism has a lot to do with the school to prison pipeline. And with that, law enforcement obviously has to do with that. Giovanna, I'm really curious to hear from you what you have seen before being on the school board, but also now on the school board that is working well in Durham schools. And I know one of the efforts we've heard some about is restorative justice practices, if that's something you'd like to talk about too. So every school has implemented a cultural framework that is inclusive of these restorative practices. So we have begun transitioning from uh, punitive in-school suspension to the restorative practices. And um, it is adding to the greater academic success of our students because they're also learning lifelong skills. But as I share that we have this impact and benefits of restorative practices, the biggest challenge is changing the attitudes and addressing implicit bias when it comes to discipline. Although we are doing well in changing the policy um, around how we, um, we want to ensure equity is happening within our schools, that we have policy that is um, decreasing the school to prison pipeline. We also have a disproportionate rate of students who are being referred, our black and brown students from in-school suspension now to restorative practices. So we don't wanna see that flip either. So now there's a perception that ISS in-school suspensions is only a new name with restorative practices when there's really good work that can happen in that, but we still need to deal with the bias that actually creates the discipline disparities in the first place. Yeah, I really appreciate both of you referencing just how deep we have to be addressing these challenges that superficial fixes are not what we're looking for here. We are looking for really systemic and deep changes. I wonder if you could each share what advice you have for students, teachers, principals, district leaders, and school boards as we move forward. We are in this together and every voice is valued. School policing does not equate to safety, especially for students of color. We must end the practice of discipline that is influenced by bias and end the practice of policing young people. Our teachers and principals must also feel safe. And we do this through the creation of a culturally affirming class and school environment with high academic rigor access for all of our students. DPS has some strong principal leaders who are doing this in every, every day um, in, every, in some of our schools, but it has to be reflected in all of our schools. So similar to Giovanni's advice, I would say that we need to really ask ourselves, what does safety mean to us? While one student may feel safe with an officer on campus, another student may be criminalized or adultified. So I think it's important to really sit back and listen to all sides, but it's especially important to really center the student voice as we are the ones going through the school system. Um, I think that administrators and teachers also need to recognize that, you know, different teaching practices exacerbate these inequalities. And you may not notice that because it could be, you know, deeply rooted in, you know, your curriculum. Like we need to include Black history in our main curriculum because Black history is American history. Thank you for being with us. And after the break, we'll have this week's final word. As the work of the Forum Study Group 16 spotlighted, we know that students of color in North Carolina schools have significantly higher rates of both short and long-term suspensions than their white counterparts. And while the state has lowered the overall rates of suspension and expulsions, what has not changed is this disproportionate representation of students of color in disciplinary actions. On average, black students were approximately four times as likely as white students to receive short-term suspensions during the 2018-19 school year. 
Research has shown that expulsionary discipline practices like suspensions and expulsions do little to improve student behavior and could lead to negative feelings towards school. A 2015 study found that each suspension decreases a student's likelihood of graduating high school by an additional 20% and reduces the likelihood of enrolling in post-secondary school by 12%. We also know that every minute a student is out of their classes means that they are less likely to be on task and more likely to miss critical instruction. These practices contribute to what is known as the school-to-prison pipeline, which is a system of policies and practices that push students out of school and into the juvenile and adult criminal justice systems. This year's social equity report card finds that the school-to-prison pipeline has three key entry points, academic failure, school discipline, and court involvement, and that students of color are overrepresented at each entry point to the pipeline in almost every school district in North Carolina. Once students enter the pipeline, it can be difficult for them to re-engage and be successful at school. Another subject that frequently arises is the role of the school resource officers, or SROs, in schools. The intended purpose of the SRO program is to create and maintain safe, secure, and orderly educational environments by placing law enforcement officers in schools. School districts across the country have begun to reconsider the role of SROs and police on school grounds. While some consider these officers vital to protecting students from violence, especially mass school shootings, others question whether the presence of police in schools has a disproportionate impact on students of color regarding discipline and arrest. More than a quarter of NC school resource officers suggest that more or improved training would improve the job of a school resource officer statewide. All of this data brings up the urgent question of what we as a state can do to reduce discipline disparities, equalize opportunities for black and brown students, and ensure all students are safe and well-equipped to access a sound basic education as our Constitution guarantees. Today we discussed a number of goals to work toward. Number one, collect better data. We need to collect more discipline data at the school and district level that is disaggregated by race. Better data can help us shine a light on areas of disproportionality or disparity as well as lift up successes that have been gained. Number two, revise or redesign codes of conduct to align with social and emotional learning and reduce the vague or subjective discipline categories such as disrespect, disruptive behavior, or insubordination. Developing a code of conduct or code of character that is more strengths-based and focuses on supporting the whole child while still striving for safety can be an important step. Number three, Implement restorative justice practices. Restorative justice programs, when implemented with fidelity, have proven to be effective in decreasing the overall incidence of student misbehavior, as well as reducing racial gaps. Restorative practices must include significant professional learning opportunities and be implemented with fidelity in order to transform school culture. Number four, invest in more school counselors, social workers, school psychologists, and school nurses. In North Carolina, our schools are significantly understaffed by these critical mental health professionals. The benefits of investing in school support personnel, however, are clear. Schools with robust student support services see improved attendance rates, better academic achievement, higher graduation rates, and improved safety, as well as lower rates of suspension, expulsion, and other disciplinary incidents. The focus on equity in the whole child provides an important lens through which to consider discipline and restorative practices in schools. 
I would venture to say that each child comes to us in kindergarten wanting to learn and be successful. To ensure that comes to pass, we must transform our schools into safe, supportive environments to prepare our students for college, career, and citizenship instead of employing harmful or expulsionary discipline practices in our schools that work against our collective learning goals. Together, we can work toward policy solutions that support equity and achieve positive learning environments for all. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.